Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say this, and you're going, you're going to think I'm an egotist or something, okay? You're going to think I've got a, a, a big head or something. And This is what I'm going to say. I wish everybody in the world could hear what I'm going to say tonight. I'm telling you the truth. I wish everybody could. Because you're going to hear some stuff that you may have never heard before. I think many of you have. Maybe you just haven't registered yet. But many of you know this, what I'm going to speak on tonight. But it's something that everybody needs to hear. Every single believer that there is out there needs to hear what I'm saying. And, and every single person other than those who are saved needs to hear it too. So this is a message for the world. Um, and I, I shared with you just a thought about it last week, last Friday night, concerning uh, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the cross. Now, we're going to go back to Luke 9. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to share some things with you. Okay? Luke 9, 1 through 11. Give you a minute to get there. I love our swirly cues on the uh, wall and stuff. Okay. <laughs> We can read it on the wall. <clears throat> now, in Luke 9, the gospel records the time frame or the general time frame in which things were really beginning to get shook up in Israel because of the activity of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus actually, in this verse of Scripture, was uh, releasing his disciples to minister. Now, it's interesting to me, I, I, I'm not exactly certain of the time frame from when he called the twelve and they came in to this particular point. I don't know how many months it was, but I'm telling you, it was a short while. Their, their training in terms of uh, ministry was on the fly. I mean, he, tra- he, would, he would give them what they needed, we'll see in just a second, and he'd send them out. He'd let them learn, he'd let them explore, he'd let them experiment within certain parameters. And as they came back, they were very successful. And so as we begin tonight, just sort of, I'm going to get you in gear as we kind of go along to think about Scripture differently. Uh, I do that, I look at Scripture a little differently. But right up front, I want you to understand something, that these people didn't go to seminary, uh, didn't go to Bible college for four years and then seminary for four years and get some degree. They were actually involved in ministry every day. It's God's heart and it's God's desire for you to minister. You have a place in the grand scheme of things and you're on this earth a short period of time. Go for it. You hear me? Go for it. Wherever you can go after that, go for it. Reach for it. Press into it and attain it and then give it all back to Jesus. Okay, Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Next verse. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, I'm just going to say something right here and we'll go ahead and read the rest of this and then we'll come back. Jesus, listen here, listen now. Jesus gave them something and then he sent them to do something. 
Jesus will never, ever, ever give you anything and not send you somewhere to use what He gave you. It's never His intention for us to become spiritual couch potatoes and to just sit by on the sidelines and watch everything unfold and say, Oh my gosh, isn't the will of God wonderful? No, listen, you're to be a participant. You are to engage what you've been designed to engage, and you are to uh, engage it with victory in mind. Okay? So, he, he, he gave them something, and then He sent them to do something with that which He gave them. And He said unto them, this is the red letters, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves. Anybody know what a stave is? I'll show you what a stave is. I like these things. <laughs> it is a staff. It's a walking stick. It's like the thing that Moses had, and he just threw it down before the uh, magicians of Egypt, and the thing turned into a snake and eat up all their little snakes. And then he reached down and picked it up, and it became a stave again. It's the same same stick that, you know, he waved before the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. It's a stave, a walking stick. It was the companion of people in this day and age whenever they went on a journey. Because sometimes they had to stabilize themselves as they were walking up steep places or coming down downgrades and slippery rocks. And occasionally they might be encountered, they might encounter some lion or some bear that would just need a good solid tap on the head. Or a robber, okay? And so, I mean, this was, this, was like, this was like part of your attire. Jesus says, don't take it. And I'm sure there are th- <laughs> It's like me and my 40 cal Glock, okay? I like to have it with me in case I need it. I feel more secure with it. Well, they felt secure. This was like the equivalent of a 40 caliber Glock right here in their day and time. It's a multi-using, huh? A 40 caliber club. Yeah, a 40 caliber club. And you know, you could just, when you, if you reared back this thing and come around with it pretty good, you could hurt somebody or clear a crowd out one or the other. But anyway, not take anything to help you along your way. Took away their stick. Look at there. <laughs> Take nothing for the road, he told them. No walking stick, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Now, this would be where people like me would sort of wonder. How many of you guys like to walk? You know, walking is hot and sweaty and dirty. How would you like to wear the same shirt for God knows how long? Because they didn't know how long they were going to be gone on this trip. You know. It would just get sour and rank and stiff, and at the end of the day, you could sit it up in the corner and just stand up by itself. Okay? I mean, you, I mean, you think about what Jesus is saying here. Don't carry a stick. Don't carry a bag to put your stuff in, which means you're not going to carry anything that you can't put in your hands because they didn't have a whole lot of pockets in their garments back then. No bread, don't take anything to eat, and no money. And don't even carry an extra shirt. How would you like to be given marching orders that included this kind of a 
prerequisite to it. Think about it. You wouldn't like it, would you? And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide, and then leave. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, that is by him. Isn't that interesting? Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. Him who? There were twelve sent out, him singular. I mean, listen, you've you got to get this stuff in the scripture now. Slow down and read. Who's the him? Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Okay? Right now, what, what, does, that, what does this mean? What it means is, in a, in a background sort of way, the Holy Spirit is conveying the notion up front that this was Jesus that went with these twelve. It was Him doing the work through them. See, this is how wonderful and how intricate the Holy Ghost is. As He inspired Scripture, He's getting the point across that this was Jesus doing the work through the disciples. That'd be important after a while. And he was perplexed or disturbed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. That really bothered him. Next verse. And of some said that Elias had appeared. And others said that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this? Of whom I hear such things. And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately into a desert place, beholding the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew of it, followed him. And he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and heal them that had need of healing. Now, let's go back and and look at this whole passage of Scripture for just a second. When Jesus called those twelve together, now you can stop right here and, and build part of a sermon on the power of togetherness, or unity, or agreement. Okay? You just kind of, that's just kind of a free one right there. You just kind of stick that in your head and just remember that. Jesus gave them two things. He gave them power and He gave them authority. Power and authority. Power and authority. Did you know those two things are separate and distinct things? They're not both the same thing? Power, and I love the way this word power is is, is defined and the root word from which it comes. And And the root word from which this word power to come simply means to be able. 
So Jesus gave them a gift that the end result was that they were able to do what He said to do. Not only were they able to do what He said to do, they had governmental, it's like governmental authority. That's like supreme, unquestioned influence. That means you get whatever you want. Now we can say that and we can take that in a, a, a negative, selfish context. But in this context, if it was truly Him that was working through the disciples to heal people and cure diseases if it was truly Him, then whatever they wanted was a reflection of what He wanted. And it could not be questioned. Listen, they had the power to expel demons. There's not one demon in hell. Not one demon on the earth. Not one demon in the airways. There was not one demon anywhere who could even challenge their authority. And I'm here to tell you today, there's not one demon in hell and there's not one demon on earth and there's not one demon in the airways that can challenge what's in you and the giftings that God has given you. Not one! Not one! He gave them power and authority to cast out demons. Now it's interesting to note that at this point in time when he gave them that, when they were all assembled together, they didn't know they were getting that gift. They found that out on the road. (laughs) Isn't that cool? To cast out demons and it says to cure diseases. That's an interesting phrase. And then it said... They preached the gospel everywhere and healed people. And I got to look at it. There's got to be something different between curing diseases and healing people. And guess what? There is. I just love the way the words are manufactured and made. When it talks about he had the power to cure diseases, those disciples, what it means is They had the power to sever the disease from the individual. Okay? They had the power to sever the disease from the individual. Just like cutting butter with a hot knife. I believe it's still that way. Then, it talks a little bit later that they healed those who were sick. See, casting demons and severing disease is mentioned in the same phrase. And so what I take that to mean is, as they had the power to cast out demons, that some of the diseases that were attaching themselves to the believers that they were ministering to were there because of demonic activity, spirits of infirmity. 
and the like. And so Jesus gave them power to do something in the realm of the demonic, but when it comes down to healing the sick, that actually means making people whole. Okay? That's something they did. That's a gift they were given as they ministered to people. That was like the, the people in that. They dealt with the demon and they dealt with the, with the severing of the disease in one fashion. And then as they laid hands on the individual or as they prayed or declared healing over individuals, that was the gentle, wonderful part of what he did. You see? That's fascinating, isn't it? That he would give them these gifts and then he would send them out into places they'd never been with, with nothing in their hand to help them or to assist them in their way. These people, these disciples, had to be trusting Jesus for everything. And the only thing they were required to do was be obedient. That's the same, as I look at you tonight, that's the only thing He requires of you. He requires of you to be obedient. He requires me to be obedient. And when we're obedient, it's it's extraordinary in the Scripture what we see. Now, as we come down a little bit further, as they were doing this, when you get past the red letters and you get back into verse 6, it said, And they departed and went through towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. In other words, they went and did exactly what he said do. They declared the kingdom... And they were healing people everywhere. They were doing this in the villages, in the towns, in the countryside. And then Herod the Tetrarch, like King Herod, he was in Jerusalem and he heard about these things. Back up just a minute. They were in the towns and villages in the rural countryside along the, along the trade routes. Preaching the kingdom and healing people. And somehow or another... What they did and what they accomplished as they went town to town to town, quickly the news spread back to Jerusalem. And it got some people's attention and they brought it to Herod. And what they did in the towns and the villages created such a stir and such a buzz that there was all kinds of reports coming in. One report that came to Herod was that John the Baptist had come back to life and he was out in the wilderness doing this stuff. Well, Herod knew that couldn't be true because he'd seen, he'd seen John the Baptist's head. Now, he was not probably discounting the notion that uh, it was John's ghost. Okay? John's spirit. <laughs> and then another group said, it must be Elias. And another group said, it must be one of the old prophets come back from the dead. Or some of the old prophets. Now what's so, what, what is so earth-shaking to me about this portion of the, of, of the record that we have is that what they were actually, what was actually being said here is this. Is that whoever is doing this, we, we, we don't really know who it is, but whoever is in the countryside doing all this stuff and creating such commotion and just 
all this just outlandish things can't listen can't be anybody that we know it can't be we don't know anybody who can do this because if they could have been doing this they'd have been doing this all along so it can't be anybody we know as a matter of fact, it can't be anybody from Elijah. Whoever's doing this had to come out of the grave to do this because we remember what Elias would do in the Old Testament. You see, what was happening in the countryside was tantamount to an axe head swimming on the water. It was tantamount to fire being called down from heaven. It was tantamount to a burning bush. It was tantamount to when Elias laid up on top of that little boy and he came back to life. It was tantamount to when a funeral procession was going by the prophet's grave. They threw somebody up in there because they was in a hurry and when the body touched the bones, the body came back to life because of the power that was still resident in the prophet's bones. So what they're saying here is, Nobody that we know can do this. It's not possible. Whoever is doing this, they had to come out of the grave to do it. Whoever's doing this, this has got to be resurrection power. This has got to be some power that used to be, but is not anymore. This is grave power. And so think about it this way. There is is truth in that. Because the power today to heal people, the power to cast out demons, the power to sever disease wherever it's found is, is power that comes out of the grave. Or power, let me say it this way, power that has come out of the grave. Or through the grave. By virtue of Jesus' resurrection. Therefore, when Herod was talking about him, he was talking about Jesus. <laughs> and he didn't even know it. See, that's what's cool about that. Now see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When the church begins to take Jesus' words seriously, and they simply begin doing what it is they were created and gifted to do. The land in which they live, whether it's America or Thailand or New Zealand or Peru or Canada or England or Norway or wherever. When the church, when the believers began to do what they've been gifted to do, there's a stir going to be created in the countryside and word's going to get back to the capital and somebody in authority is going to say, who by what power is this happening? And questions are going to be asked. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's beginning to be a stir. Have you read, and I hate to do, I just, I kind of hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you, have you read the thing about Tebow's 316 yards passing last week? Have you read that on the internet? The, the prophetic aspect to that? Um, let me tell you something. I picked up something today, and, and one of Natasha's friends 
is getting involved with something for Tebow. Watch her look at me. I knew I just, I, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. On the, on the website, www.charismaticnews.com, there is a report today that came out that Tim Tebow has got, he, he's got, he's got the entire nation shook up. You know, that 316, John 316 was his, uh, was his scripture, you know, he had it under both eyes when he was at the University of Florida. And, you know, he's, uh, he's radical for Jesus and he has really upset the norm in professional football. He's doing things people said he can't do and he's doing them in extraordinary ways. And you either love him or you hate him. That's the way it comes down. But in Salem, Massachusetts today, a coven of witches met. Now, these aren't Natasha's friends, okay? I just, I got to say that. Okay. That comes later. A coven of witches met. And they are so disturbed by what Tebow is doing. He is such a threat in the realm of darkness. Now, this is, this is, this is, this is, they, they wrote names in this paper. They called names, they named names, okay? And so, it's a bona fide article. There's a coven of witches met today. They made, they made voodoo dolls, kind of. And they built an altar. And they, and they, they put dolls to represent all of the, all of the patriots, you know, and they, they just did their witch thing, you know, and cast spells and all that kind of stuff. And Kimberly Daniels heard about it down in Jacksonville. What Kimberly did is she organized a group of intercessors to come against that thing. They're having a meeting tonight at midnight after the coven meets, and they're going to break off all those curses, and they're going to pray for Tim Tebow. Now see what Tim Tebow, he's just doing what God called him to do. And, and, and right now, on, on the public airways, you won't hear him say a whole, you won't hear him say the name Jesus very much. But they know that's who Tebow represents. Okay? And this whole thing about Tebow, he's not the first athlete to bend down in the end zone and pray. Now is he? No. But I seem, I, I, I seem to think that God has chosen Tim for a particular purpose in life. And he's living that out. On a, on a massive stage. So you need to be praying for Tim that he would not fall in his Christian witness. Because I'm telling you now, the enemy's after that. But see, here's how, here's how screwed up the witch coven is. You know, what, you know what their objective is? Here's what their objective is. Their objective in black and white in the paper today was that the Patriots would just beat the Broncos. How dumb is that? Does, do, do they think for a minute that one football game and the Patriots beating the Broncos will silence Tim and make his witness go away? No. Why? Because it's all about him. See? And so what my prayer for you is, through this teaching, through tonight's service, through tomorrow, through Sunday, through every day for the rest of your life, my prayer for you is that you would be absolutely captured by this power which comes through the grave and that you would go through the countryside wherever you go. And you would create such a stir in the kingdom 
and you would create such a stir in the, in, into the inroads of the dark kingdom that what you do would be heard in the furthest places of authority in the world that there is. And somebody would start asking questions. Who is this person? See, that's what you were put here to do. What would happen if every believer that we know about would simply rise up and take what Jesus has given them, power and authority, and then begin to exercise that in the realm without apology? And then begin to declare the kingdom, which is the rule and the reign of God. And then just start doing the stuff, heal people. Did you know that healing people is the hallmark it is, it is the touchstone of every single revival that has ever been. You cannot find revival without healing right along beside of it, in particular in front of it. The first thing that's going to manifest in a supernatural way when a revival breaks out is healing has preceded it. Where you see an outbreak of healing, you can bet your last penny. If you do that sort of thing. You can bet your last penny. The healing has taken place and is taking place. Because you see, it's not just about the person being healed. That's a good thing. But what it is about, it is about the demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God healing people that gets folks' attention and says, you know, I need, I need Jesus. I need a touch like that bad as anybody. I, I, I want Jesus. Whatever. If, if that's what you get when you get with Jesus, that's what I want. And it draws people to Christ that men and women, boys and girls might be saved. See, that's the purpose of healing. That's the purpose with deliverance. That's the purpose with casting out demons. So if we get this thing ordered right, and if we can begin to begin to get a grasp on what we've been given, and we just go and do it somewhere, people's going to say, what, what is that here? Y'all hear that? Oh, that's just hell moaning and groaning because Jesus is kicking their behind, one side and down the other. I'm going to put it in terms where you can, where you can understand it. And you know what I believe? I believe that today, in places, maybe that we don't even know about, some places we do and some places we don't, I believe hell is starting to moan and groan a little bit. And there's going to be a louder moan and a louder groan later. But whatever is done in the towns and the villages is going to find its ways to the ears of the king. It's extraordinary. I'm going to share a little quick story with you then I'm going to go and wrap this up. And we'll pray for y'all. When we were in Nigeria, I'm telling you, in the darkest dark of the jungle, you could not get any further in the jungle than what we went. One man was healed. The news of that healing ran the highways back to the capital Abuja. Quickly. It happened one night. The next day, we received an invitation to go to the presidential palace. They wanted to hear about the healing. 
So we get in the truck and we begin to drive. A car, we drove for 10 solid hours on a dusty African road. Crossed a river, as a matter of fact, on a ferry that we thought was going to sink. Went past bandits and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, we get to the city. The venue had been changed. They took us to uh, the department of something. Anyway, it's a big compound there. And, and it was the last, what that was, that, that day we were there was the last day of their year. And it was like a big celebration. They were going to quit for two weeks or three weeks and just have time off. And so they ushered us under this great big pavilion where the presidential cabinet was sitting. And they were going through this end of the year ceremony. It was a big deal over there. They ushered us up to it. They carried us around back and they marched me up on stage, me and my traveling companion, uh, John and Dan Hartley. And so we get up there and we're sitting there. We're behind the bishop of the country. And the, 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 whole, the whole cabinet, I'm telling you, the whole cabinet of the nation of Nigeria was sitting right there in front of us. And they told me I could speak. And what they wanted to hear was the story about the guy who got healed in Donga. And so I, I made a real short thing about the thing in Donga. And then I began to prophesy over Nigeria. Now y'all, I want you to pray for Nigeria because they got trouble over there right now, okay? Please pray for Nigeria. And so I began to speak and I looked up at the back and up popped the television cameras. Not only was I at the uh, department of whatever under this pavilion with the presidential cabinet, but, but they would put me on national TV right there live. That's what they was telling me later. We was live on Nigerian TV. Everybody was watching. And I had the opportunity to speak to the entire nation of Nigeria. Whoever had a TV on on that channel, they got me. White man. I know that kind of. Startled them a little bit. But I prophesied to Nigeria over the airways that day. And see, and I never thought about it until I read this, but see, this is what happens when, when Jesus gives you a gift and you take it and you use it and things begin to get, get right in the world and folks get healed and the kingdom of God comes to bear and the gospel of Jesus is preached. That's kind of the results of that. I had a, we had a similar thing happen in Nigeria and I just rejoice over that. So I'm not up here doing this. I'm simply telling you that the Bible's still true today and it works out like this for common, ordinary people like us. Common, ordinary people like you. Common, uncommon, extraordinary people. Maybe that's the way I need to say it. Like you. You have been given every single thing that you need to be victorious for Jesus. There is nothing else in your tool chest you need. You've got it all right now. All you've got to do is open your tool chest and begin to use it just a little bit. And it is true. Demons will still flee. Oh, by the way, you know why, you know why we don't see a whole lot of demons cast out in America? I'll give you a minute on that one. I'm going to take a drink, okay? Think about that. Why don't we see a lot of demons cast out? I'll tell you why. It's not that they aren't present. They're in abundance. There's still as many as they was the day Jesus walked the earth. 
But a lot of times in churches, when Janie and I began to, began to go down the road of this charismatic experience, we'd go in churches and they'd have demon casting out services. Seen all kinds of stuff. Here, there, and everywhere. And I began to wonder, why wasn't demons coming out? And here's the reason why. It's because I was told by a wise old prophet a few years ago that you can't cast out flesh. Flesh, carnal tendencies, things that we embrace and it becomes a part of our life and that we love and we won't turn loose for anything in the world. Not to be confused with the demon. It's personal choice. I'm not going to give up my personal choice and the thing that makes me feel good. It's my flesh. Can't cast out flesh. But I tell you what, if you properly discern a demon, he'll come out. Either right then or later. There is no demon in hell that has more authority than you do. And still, I just love it when she sang that song a while ago. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. He still flee. We don't have to lay down and feel embarrassed or think less of ourselves or more worse than that, less of Jesus. We don't have to think about, well, is the Scripture wrong? No, the Scripture's not wrong. All the stuff still happens. And so you have an appointment in the countryside, in the highways, in the hedges, in the places where maybe somebody's not looking. you got an appointment established for you already to turn the world backside up. And let that report of that just go back to those who are in civil authority. And let them start asking questions. Okay, anyway. And, he t- and the apostles, verse 10, when they returned, told him all they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Verse 11. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them. The word received simply means welcome them. You see, (laughs) he took the disciples, gave them something, sent them away. When the multitudes came to them, he welcomed and gave them something. See, anybody who comes to Jesus on either side of ministry is going to get something. On either side of your witness, on either side of your walk, whether whether you're doing something, or whether you're needing something, Jesus gives on both sides of that equation. And the people knew it followed him, and he welcomed them and spake unto them what? The same thing he sent his disciples to do. The kingdom of the God, the kingdom of God, and he healed them that had need of healing. The kingdom of God and healing. Those two things are inseparable. When the kingdom of God is preached, and you'll see this characteristic throughout the Gospels, you'll see it throughout the book of Acts. Where the kingdom of God is preached, there's always a demonstration of that which was taught or preached. 
In other words, don't, don't preach or don't speak about something and not demonstrate it. How many... How many times have you turned on the TV or you turned on the radio or you've been in a worship service somewhere and somebody talks about signs, wonders, miracles, healings, casting out devils, raising the dead and all this kind of stuff and it never happens. They never do it. Never attempt to do it. I'll go on record today and said, I simply believe in every single one of those activities. I believe in preaching the kingdom of God I believe also in seeing the kingdom of God manifest and doing the stuff. I'll go on record with that. I'll go on TV. I'll tell it to a whole nation. And you see, that's what, that's what the masses need to hear. They need to hear it and they need to be somewhere where it can be demonstrated. And it's applicable anywhere. You don't even have to speak their language. How about that? So miraculous. So wonderful. Just do it. You know what, you know what keeps people, you know what keeps pastors, you know what keeps ministers from, from um, doing what I just talked about? Fear of failure. The fear, people are afraid that if they pray or they declare that it ain't going to happen and people's going to think they're phonies, people going to think they're powerless, people going to think they're weird, people going to think they're liars, all kinds of people going to just give them a bad reputation in the community. Listen, <laughs> I've had a bad reputation in the communities already. What about you? How many of y'all have a really good, good reputation? There's somewhere in this community where you ain't got such a good reputation. You know what? That's the kind of people God wants. You know why? Because you can relate to certain groups of people. Certain subgroups within our society. You can relate to them. William over there has got a good way with words. He's patient. He's kind. Got, you know, but he's kind of tenacious as a bulldog. He won't let you go on something. Okay? Me, I wear Hawaiian shirts. I'm a... And, and, and sandals. And in the winter times, I wear socks with sandals. Jason Ty taught me that, so he's to blame for this. Weird looking get up. You know? Janie works in a, in a nursing home. A retirement, she owns a retirement center. You know? She has places she can demonstrate this. Then places she has. She's cast out devils in the retirement home. Prayed for people and people been healed. Ain't that right, baby? Pretty much, yeah. You can do this stuff where you are. And just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And yeah, the enemy's going to try to keep you from doing it. He's going to try to intimidate you. Remind him, remind him of Luke 9. Ask him anywhere in Luke 9 did he win anything. Show me, devil. Where is it at? Uh, I'm sorry, it ain't there. Then you can go for, I'll tell you what, devil, show me anywhere in the four Gospels that you won anything. Okay, devil, more than that. I'll tell you what, show me anywhere in the New, just show me somewhere in the New Testament you won, you came out on top. Show me. Okay, devil. From 
Genesis to Revelation. Show me somewhere you won. I'm here tonight. I'm declaring to you the victory of the cross of Jesus and the power of His resurrection. That's what I'm declaring. And it feels real good talking about it. Real good. The enemy would like you to think he's won. He would like to think you failed. He would like to think that it's unrecoverable. He would like for you to think that it's just it's the very end. But I'm telling you, it's not the end. It is recoverable. It is restorable. Amen. All of it. In full measure. And then some. And if you're from another ministry or another church, start praying for your pastor to be just captured by the gospel of the kingdom. Pray that God put a burden on his heart to start preaching about the kingdom of God. And the power that Jesus has. And the power that he uses to work through people. Start praying about that. Golly molly. I'm telling you, it'll change everything. It'll change the the place you worship, the place that you serve the Lord. It will change homes. It'll change cities. It'll change nations. How, How many... I read this week how many times that John 3.16 has been Googled since Tebow has risen up in the last few months. It's... Millions and millions of people have Googled John 3.16. You know what that tells me? People don't know nothing about the gospel. They don't know what John 3.16 is. Me, every, I, every single one of us probably could recite it from one end to the other. But there are countless millions of people in America who don't know what John 3.16 is. What we consider to be the most familiar verse in the whole Bible. Countless millions don't know what it is. Do you know the impact of that? That means we're living in a dark, dark, dark place. Darker than we could ever possibly imagine. And we sit inside cloistered in buildings with sheetrock and metal and brick and board. PA systems and digital cameras. All kinds of programs going on. Feeding our own self. And the numbers are growing every day. People are being born. They're growing up and know nothing about Jesus. And we think that our books, we think that our TV programs, we think that our radio programs and our DVDs, we think that's going to solve the problem, but it ain't going to solve the problem. People have got to get up and to get out and start doing the stuff. Take Jesus at His word and just do it. It's going to have to happen in homes, in workplaces, in shopping centers, on sidewalks, in fields, in byways and highways, private meetings in boardrooms, and coincidental encounters in a fast food McDonald's restaurant. Now, am I telling you the truth or am I lying to you? Something's got to go. 
I recommend the kingdom of God. That's what I recommend. Let me say this. Y'all, if, if nobody else gets prayed for tonight, I'm going to get prayed for. You hear me? I got aches and pains in places I used not to have places. All right? And I know what part of the problem is, but I also know what other parts of the problem is. And I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to let you pray for me, and I'm going to believe God for every single word. I believe at this point He's going to heal me. I'm convinced of that. But I have to say this. This is, this is not a statement of a de- defeat or a disqualifier. In no way what happens to me can diminish what Jesus has done. In no way what happens to me can do away with the, with the whole content of Scripture in terms of what the blood has purchased for us. You hear me? That's sort of Paul's conviction. Paul had, I don't, know where you, I don't know how you read it, but there was a demonic attachment to his life that caused him to be blind. Er. <laughs> he, had, he had weak eyes. That's, that's a given in Scripture. You just read. But you know what? You know, he would pray for people. They'd get healed. He'd send them out sweat rags. Which is what they were. He'd set out sweat rags. They'd get healed. And Paul's not perfect eyesight didn't keep him from believing Jesus. And it didn't stop him from doing the stuff. Because see, what was contained in the Word of God and what happened at the cross and what came out of the grave of Jesus in no way, in no way, was affected by Paul's personal circumstance. We've got to get to the place where our personal circumstance, regardless of what it is in any area, doesn't matter. It's what the Word says. Now, that's kind of hard to swallow for me. But listen, y'all. The glorious, the glorious gospel of Jesus is still true. It's still valid. It's still working. His power is there. The cross is still in effect. Jesus ain't went nowhere except up and to victory. Isn't that cool? When he went down, they thought he was defeated, but when he went down, he actually was going up. (laughs) Dumb little devil. Devil thought he had him. I wonder where the devil was for them three days. Huh? Yeah, he was having a party. Up until what? The dawning of the third day. Then a report came out. Boss, we got problems. Boss, we got problems. Oh, really? What kind of problems? He's up. And gone. And nobody knows where he is. (laughs) I love it. I love it. 